Romans chapter 15. This morning we're continuing in a sermon series called Together. How God, when He saved us, did not save us to be hobos or roustabouts. He didn't save us to be selfies. He didn't save us to be individuals. He saved us to be part of an assembly, part of a family, part of a team, part of a church. He saved us that we might be all for one and one for all and one and all under Jesus Christ to the glory of the Father and for the good of all concerned. And today we're looking at together in praise. Together in praise. Romans chapter 15, beginning with verse 8 through verse 13. The words of the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian man who ever lived, as he addresses the church of Rome, as he addresses the church at Miles Road. And he's talking about togetherness in praise, togetherness in worship. Verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. That's a, a fancy way of saying of the Jewish people. His ministry was for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause will I confess to you among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he said, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Applaud him, all you people. And again Isaiah said, There shall be a root of Jesse, that's speaking of the Lord Jesus, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the hope, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning that we don't often do, but I promise you it won't hurt. I'm going to ask you to think. Put on your thinking caps. Now, I want you to think to yourself. I don't want you to say anything out loud because you might disturb somebody that's thinking next to you. And if you disturb them, they might quit thinking. But I want you to think about these combinations of words I'm going to give you. And I want you to think about what they might have in common or not have in common. You ready? Got your thinking caps on? The Hatfields and the McCoys. The Democrats and the Republicans. The Gamecocks and the Tigers. Surfers and great white sharks. Oil and water. Police officers and gang members. Okay? You think about all those combinations. And probably if you're thinking like I think you're thinking. You're saying, Pastor, those things don't go together. In fact, they're 180 degrees apart. And the truth be known, they probably don't even like one another. 
If that's what you're thinking, you're absolutely correct. Now, may I add one more combination to that? Jews and Gentiles. In the day of the Apostle Paul, when he's writing Romans chapter 15, there was a divide, you might even say a deep, intense disdain between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, who's the Gentile people? Anybody that's not a Jewish person. Okay? So there's only two people groups in that day. And still today, I guess you could say. There's the Jewish people that compose a very small minority of the human race. And there's the Gentile people who are non-Jews who are mostly the vast majority. Now these two groups in Paul's day, the Jews and the Gentiles disliked one another, even had a hatred for one another. It was the prayer of many Jewish people to say, Lord, I thank you so much for my blessings. And one of those blessings is, Lord, I'm not a Gentile. <laughs> you see, there was a hatred there. There was a polarization there between these two groups. In the book of Acts, God began not only to save Jewish people, but he began to save Gentile people. And the church that was segregated all of a sudden found itself being integrated by two people groups who did not like one another. Traditionally, historically, they did not get along. That's what was going on in the early book of Acts when you read about the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch and why they were having such problems. The church at Jerusalem was a Jewish church. The church at Antioch was a Gentile church. And neither of them trusted one another. They didn't like one another. They were in, comp in competition with one another. They were being combative with one another. And a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's why God had to bring the rift between these two churches, Jewish and Gentile, bring them together. And if you read the book of Acts, you find out that that's what Barnabas did. He went to the church at Jerusalem and he said, listen, the Gentile church is good. They love the Lord. He went to the Gentile church at Antioch and he said, listen, the Jewish church is good. They love the Lord. Quit this argument. Quit this antagonism and come together. Now, in Romans chapter 15, Paul is once again making an appeal to those who claim the name of Jesus to set aside dislikes, to set aside divisiveness, to bury the hatchet, and to come together as one. At the foot of the cross, set aside your Jewishness, set aside your Gentileness, and come together as believers in Christ. In Romans 15, verse 6 and 7, notice his appeal. That you may with one mind, that you Jewish believers and Gentile believers may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. Not with two minds and two mouths, but come together with one mind and one mouth and glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, we, 
Wherefore, receive you one another. Don't fight one another. Don't reject one another. Receive you one another. As Christ also received us to the glory of God. The Lord desires his people to be one. He wants us to set aside our looks and our color and our origin. He wants us to set aside our face and our race and our place. He wants us to come together corporately as one church and worship him together. And that's what Romans 15 is all about. It's an appeal to oneness, to unity, to harmony in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, let's look and see how Paul frames his argument. In verse 8, he begins by addressing Jewish believers. And he says, you who are Jewish believers should praise God. You should sing to God. If you're not a Baptist, you should dance for God. You should worship God because God made promises. And God is going to keep those promises that he made to your fathers through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister. He came to minister to, he became to be a servant of the circumcision. Now that's speaking of the Jewish race, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. He came to be a minister for the truth of God. To confirm the promises. See that? To confirm, to, 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 to make happen the promises that were given to the fathers. Now that word fathers is an interesting word. It means anyone from the past who was a spokesman for God through the years. So it could be the patriarchs he was speaking of. It could be the kings he was speaking of. It could be the prophets he was speaking of, or it could be all of them together. Now, I want you to think with me, because what he's saying to the Jewish believers is this. You ought to be shouting. You ought to be praising God, because God made promises to your patriarchs, to your kings, to your prophets. And God who makes promises is the God who keeps promises. Now, think about it. What promise did God make to the patriarchs? Specifically to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. God made a promise to them that one day he was going to give them goodly land. In other words, one day they're going to have the entire Middle East. Not this little nation that they have right now. One day they're going to have a vast amount of land. That will encompass most of the Middle East. Genesis 15, 18. In the same day the Lord made a promise to Abraham. Unto thy seed I will give you this land. This land from the river of Egypt that will go all the way to the great river Euphrates. So God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the patriarchs. He said, one day I promise to give you all of this goodly land, all of it. 
And then he made a promise to King David, to the kings through King David. And he said to King David, I make a promise to you that one day you will have a kingdom that will never end. Though you might die, your kingdom, David, will carry on forever and ever and ever and ever. You will always be on the throne of your kingdom, David. You will have a glorious kingdom. 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 through 13. And the Lord says to David, I will make you a house, a kingdom. And when the days be fulfilled, you shall go to sleep. You shall die and be buried with your ancestors. And I will take your seed, the seed that came from your own loins, and I will establish a kingdom. And this kingdom I will build upon my name, and I will establish this kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever. Now you're listening to me. If you're a Jewish person... Paul's saying you ought to be praising God. You ought to be shouting to God. You ought to be worshiping God. You ought to be lifting up your praise to God because God made you a promise of goodly land. He made it to your patriarchs and He is going to deliver it. God has made a promise to your kings through King David that He's going to give you a glorious kingdom and God is going to do it. And then He may have been talking about the promise that God made to the prophets. Specifically to the prophet Jeremiah, God made a promise to him. And this promise was to the Jewish people and to the Jewish nation, and it's found in Jeremiah 31, 33. It's the promise of a godly people, a goodly land, a glorious kingdom, a godly people. Jeremiah 31, 33 this is a promise I will make to the kingdom of Israel, the house of Israel. I will put my law one day into the inward parts. No longer will they be a Ten Commandments. I'll take the Ten Commandments and I'll write them on your heart. And I'll write them into the heart of you. And I will be your God and you will be my people. This is what Paul is saying to the Jewish people. This God, through Jesus Christ the Messiah, is going to fulfill every promise He ever made. He's going to give you the goodly land. He's going to give you the glorious kingdom. He's going to give you the godly people. And He's going to do it ultimately. He's going to do it completely. And He's going to do it eternally. It's going to happen. When God makes a promise, God keeps His word. And through the Lord Jesus, the promise was going to be fulfilled and will be fulfilled. Through Jesus Christ, Abraham will one day see the goodly land. Through Jesus Christ, David's glorious kingdom will be established forever and ever and ever. Through Jesus Christ, there will be a godly people to live in that godly kingdom that will inhabit that godly land. And for that reason, Paul says, you Jews ought to be worshiping and praising God. And then he goes on, verses 9 through 12. Now, follow his thought. He's trying to bring togetherness here. So he addresses the Jewish people. He said, this is what you've got to shout about. Start shouting. And then he shifts it over to the Gentiles. 
and verses 9 through 12. And he says, you Gentiles, you too should be praising God. You should be praising God because out of his promises that he made to the patriarchs and to the kings and the prophets, which have nothing to do with you, out of those promises he made, he is going to fill their cup and he's going to overflow their cup. And guess what? What overflows out of their cup is going to be grace and mercy and you're going to get it all. Every promise that God made to his people and to his nation is going to be exceedingly and abundantly fulfilled. And out of that fulfillment will come grace and mercy to you who are non-Jews, the Gentiles. Notice in verse 9, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For it is written, for this cause will I confess to you among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Verse 10, again, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. In other words, Jews and Gentiles rejoice together, verse 10. And again, praise the Lord, all of you Gentiles. Applaud him, all you people. And again, Isaiah said, there shall be a root of Jesse. This is Jesus. And he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. And in him shall the Gentiles trust too. Now, I want you to understand something. When Jesus came, he came first, and he came primarily to the Jewish race and the Jewish nation. He came to bring about fulfillment to the promises that he made to Abraham, David, and Jeremiah. He came to offer himself as the Messiah of Israel. What did the Jewish people and the Jewish nation do to the Messiah? They crucified him. They rejected him. In that rejection, the cup that was filled and overflowing now began to spread from the saucer of the Jewish people and the Jewish nation to all people and all nations. From the Jewish Messiah, he now was going to become the Savior of the world the Savior of whosoever will come, Jew or Gentile. This is what Simeon was talking about when he first laid eyes on Jesus. You remember on the eighth day, Mary took baby Jesus to the temple. And that when she was there in the temple, Jesus was approached by a prophetess and a prophet. The prophetess was Anna. The prophet was Simeon. And Simeon had something very interesting to say when he saw Jesus. This is baby Jesus, eight days old. And this aging prophet said something remarkable. In Luke chapter 2, verse 30 and 32, he said, My eyes have seen my salvation. That is the Messiah, but he's also my Savior. Which the Lord has prepared before the face of all people. Not just the Jewish people, but all people. To light, to be a light, to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In other words, Simeon said, this one that's before me, he's come to be the Messiah of the Jewish people, but he's also come to be the Savior of the world. He's my Messiah. He's my Savior. 
He's come to be a light to the Gentiles, to bring glory to the Jews. That's why in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's to everyone that believes. It was first offered to the Jews. And then, and now it is being offered to the Gentiles. Do you understand that? Jesus came to fulfill the promises he made to the Jewish people and Jewish nation. He came to fill their cup. He came to overflow their cup. They said, we don't want you. Do away with him. And they did. They crucified him. So he kept his ministry and he took it to the Gentiles. The grace and mercy that overflowed out of that cup, out of that saucer, touched you and I and aren't you glad for it? Now one day he'll come back and he'll claim his people again. He'll claim his nation again. And everything he's promised will be fulfilled. But in the meantime, we are beneficiaries of his grace and mercy. And if that doesn't make you shout, you're dumb. You can't talk. If that doesn't ring your bell, your clangor's broke. Paul's saying, Gentiles, get excited. Those promises aren't for you, but you're getting the blessings of the promises. And then in verses 9 through 12, he kind of talks about how he wanted them to praise. Jews, you got something to praise about. Gentiles, you got something to praise about. You're all part of one church. Why don't you come together with your praise? Verse 9, he says, he says to the Jews, praise God in the midst of the Gentiles. Look at verse 9. In verse 10, he says, Gentiles and Jews Come together in praise. And verse 11, Gentiles, you praise God in the midst of the Jews. And in verse 12, he says, every praise, whether it be Jew, Gentile, or both, is directed toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget who you're praising. Remember, it's Jesus. The root of Jesse, you're praising. Now lastly, follow his, his framing of his argument, his presentation. Jewish people, praise God because God made promises to you and he's going to fulfill them. Gentile people, praise God because you are the beneficiary of those promises made to the Jewish people. You are beneficiaries of God's grace and God's mercy. Now he says, Jews and Gentiles, verse 13, when you come together in this praise that I'm asking you to do together, jointly, you will experience the power of God. Verse 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Notice that, hope, joy, and peace that you might abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants our worship to have power. He doesn't want our worship to be weak. He doesn't want our worship to be impotent. 
He doesn't want our worship to be null and void and non-effect. When we come together as the body of Christ, whether we be Jew or Gentile or both, He wants us to come together as one, focalize, centralize, capsulize, summarize all of our praise upward to Jesus. And when praise goes up, the power of God will come down. And the power of God will not necessarily be in miracles. It won't necessarily be in healings. The power of God he's speaking of will be peace and joy and hope that will be all over a service just like this. What is peace? Peace is breaking down the barriers that divide people and bringing them together. What is joy? Joy is a hope on the inside that it is well with my soul no matter what's going on on the outside. What is hope? Hope is that together in Christ we have nothing to fear. It doesn't matter what's out there. In Christ we have nothing to fear. Our hope is bright and eternal. Wouldn't it be wonderful to come together every Sunday and the house of God filled with the people of God worshiping together and there would be a peace all over this place. There would be a joy all over this place. There'd be hope everywhere. God says that can happen if we break down the barriers of Jew-Gentile and begin to worship Him down here like worship will be up there. Did you hear that? Break down the barriers. Break down the walls. Set aside the prejudices and the biases. Come together as one in Christ and worship down here like it'll be up there. What is the worship like up there? Well, Revelation 7, 9, and 10. The Apostle John says, I saw a great multitude that no man could number. In other words, I can't count that high is what he's saying. The multitude consisted of people of all nations, all kindreds, all races, all tongues. They all stood before the throne of God, before the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. They were clothed in white robes of righteousness. They had palms of peace in their hands. And in unison, these people that came from all over, coming together, cried out in worship, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. In heaven there's one church. There's one people. There's one mind. There's one heart. There's one voice of praise to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying to the church at Rome and to us right here, right now is, if that's what's going to be up there, why don't we do it down here? Why don't we get warmed up for what we're going to have up there? You say, well, pastor, we don't have any Jews here. <laughs> no, but we got a lot of different Gentiles, do we not? And we might have a few Jews, I don't know. But I look out here at this congregation and I see black, I see white. I see red, I see yellow. Maybe we got some Martians here, I'd see green. But we got all different colors of Gentiles here. 
I see some of you that have got a lot. You're rich. You're an up and inner. I see others of you sitting out here that don't have so much. Quite frankly, you're poor. You're a down and outer. I see some of you that are pretty. I see some of you that are not so pretty. I see some that are young. I see many that are old. I see some Baptists out here. I see some non-Baptists out here. I see men out here. I see women out here. I see contemporary out here. I see traditional out here. I see educated out here. I see not so educated out here. I see conservative out here. I see Republicans out here. I see Democrats and liberals out here. I see knuckleheads out here. <laughs> and some of you are not knuckleheads. Now, I'm not telling you no names. I know you don't call names. What I see, though, is what Paul's saying. It's time just to come together to set aside all of these barriers and walls that we set up based on our biases and prejudices, based on our likes and our traditions or anything else that through the years have been an excuse to exclude certain people or to polarize the body. To come together. You're going to be in heaven together. Why not bring heaven down here and let's be together down here? God's church should never exclude anybody. It includes everybody. Heard about a lady who had a problem with all of her neighbors. Maybe you know somebody like that. There was something wrong with the neighbor to the right. There was something wrong with the neighbor to the left. There was something wrong with the neighbor across the street to the right. Neighbor across the street to the left. Neighbor across the street in the center. There was something wrong with every neighbor. And she'd get up every morning, she'd look out her window, and she would voice her complaints to her husband as he would sit there and read the paper. One particular family moved across from her next door, and she began to immediately neg you know, be negative about it. She said, I can't believe that woman lets her family come out of the house with such dirty white clothes on. Doesn't she know how to use a washing machine? Doesn't she know what laundry detergent is? I have a good mind to go over there and tell her how to wash clothes. Her husband said, yes, dear. <laughs> well, the next day she got up. She looked at the family as they were coming out again. She said, I can't believe this. That's the dirtiest looking green color I've ever seen. That's the dirtiest looking blues I've ever seen. Somebody ought to go over there and tell that woman how to wash clothes. She needs to know that, how to do it. This is, they're dingy. They're dirty looking. Her husband said, yes, dear. Well, she did that on and on and on. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, complaining about the clothes and how they looked of the family next door as they left to go to work and go to school. Well, finally, one morning, she got up and she poked her head out that blind. And she said, I can't believe this. I didn't have a chance to go over there and say nothing to him. And I was. 
I was going to tell that woman what a washing machine is and how to use laundry detergent, how to make her whites white and greens green and blues blues. But before I could, somebody else must have told me. That those clothes on that family looks good. I'm glad somebody told her. And her husband said, honey, nobody told her nothing. I just cleaned our glass. Many times, how we look at people and the negativity that we have toward people is not based on the reality of what those people are. It's based on the perception that we have within our own self. If we're ever going to come together as a church, then we need to clean our glass before we start looking at somebody and pointing out their problems. So today I'm challenging you, this church, to take the words of Paul the Apostle and apply them here. Let's praise God together. No matter what color you may be, no matter what origin, origin you might have, no matter what your class or culture or checkbook or countenance might be, let's just set all of that aside. And let's come together each and every time on the appointed day and worship together in praise. By the way, let me say something. Everybody here has prejudice. Yeah, I'm talking to you. There's not one single one of us here that do not have a prejudice already built into us against somebody. May we ask God this morning to forgive us of having that bias and prejudice against people. It's wrong and it's not right. And it inhibits the power of God and the peace and joy and hope He wants to bring here. I'm also going to ask you to seek out people that are not like you and make them feel welcomed and wanted here at Miles Road Baptist Church. People of, of a non-white color ought to feel welcomed and wanted here. People who are not American ought to feel welcomed and wanted here. People who speak bad English like your pastor <laughs> ought to feel welcomed and wanted here. People who can't sing like your pastor ought to feel welcomed and wanted here. And some of you grinning out there in my boat too. But what I'm saying is we've got not only to sit down and say, I'll welcome people, we need to go out of our way to welcome them, to let them feel wanted. We ask God to forgive us of our prejudices and our bias, and every single one of them have them. And then we go out of our way to show people we care about them. Whether you come from the Philippines or South Korea or Mexico or Canada or Britain or France or you're born in America, we love you and you're welcome here. If you got $10 million, you're welcome here. If you got 10 cents, you're welcome here. And you'll all be treated the same. 
If you're Baptist, you're welcome here. If you're non-Baptist, you're welcome here. Everybody is welcomed as we come together in praise. It's not necessary that we all be alike, but it is necessary we like one another. Our strength at Miles Road is in the diversity that God gives us. Can you imagine a football team that had all quarterbacks? I can tell you they would not be very successful. Can you imagine a football team that had all centers or all right tackles or all linebackers? A football team that is successful is a team consisting of a diversity of players who bring to the table a diversity of football knowledge, who bring to the table a diversity of football experience, who bring to the table a, a, an ability to, to use different talents and gifts that they have and play their position to the best of their ability and work with the other positions. That's what makes a great football team, and that's what makes a great church. We understand we're different. That's okay. But in our differences, we understand their strength and we bring our differences to the table and we use them for God's glory. Hmm. Heads are bowed and eyes are bowed.